You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Galatians chapter 3 verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do require your mercy and your blessing if we're to understand and apply these verses. Uh, Paul's writings are often um, dense and always deeply profound. Father, we pray that, Lord, you would take us, O Lord, into the depths of these verses and help us to apply these verses to the particular chapter of church history we find ourselves in. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I thought a good way to get this morning's sermon underway is to talk about a conversation I had um, at the park on Wednesday. And um, a lot of the details that led up to that conversation I don't really recall, but but it it led up to the fact, um, I was talking about the uh, EE question, what we used to call the EE question. Some of you are familiar with the evangelism explosion question. And um, when, and I was telling the group of people I was speaking to at the park that the seminary I went to, in order to graduate, if you're going to graduate with a master's of divinity degree, the, way, the only way you're going to graduate is you're going to have to walk through Pittsburgh. You're going to have to go knock on doors <laughs> and ask whoever answers that door the EE question. Um, and what is the EE question? It would go like this, you know, you, you knock on the door, they answer the door, and I usually, would usually say something like, hi, my name's Rick Anderson, I'm a student at RPTS, and we're just asking people questions about their faith today, and I've got a question for you, and if the door didn't slam shut already, if it still, if they showed mercy on us and the door was still open, then I would ask this thought-provoking question, this hypothetical question. If you were to pass away this afternoon and you were to go right before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Now, um, my point in bringing this up to the group at the park on Wednesday was because the answer that we got almost, and probably many of you already know the answer we usually got, Probably nine times out of ten, you'd get an answer that went something like this. Well, I know that I'm not perfect. Okay. I know that I'm not perfect, but you sense there's a but coming, right? But I've always tried to, and then you could fill in the blank. I've always tried. Generally speaking, people would say I've always tried to be nice. That's in essence what they were saying because that's the, that's, that's, I mean, that has to be the number one law in the Scriptures, right? To be nice. I mean, that's got to be it, right? If there's a law in Scripture, it has to be be nice. So I've always tried to treat people how I would like them to treat me, and down the list they'd go. And, of course, depending on the personality, would 
probably large in part depend on how the blank was filled in. But the answer was always the same. You know, I know I'm not perfect. So there was an admission that there is something wrong with my life. I'm not perfect. But I've always tried. And the idea is that the Lord will take into consideration the good things that I've tried to do and that the good things that I've tried to do are going to save me from the bad things. Now, I'm using the word save very purposely here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to share this with you again. Follow through this logic because this is what's being said. I know I'm not perfect. I've done a lot of bad stuff. But I've always tried to whatever. And the hope in that and the logic in that is that the good things that I have done are going to save me from the bad things. Now, who's the Savior? Who's the Savior? It's a do-it-yourself project. And I think this will help us because if you go back all the way to the beginning, what I want to spend most of our time with this morning, I want to say a good portion of our time, I want to review and try to put some of the pieces together that we've been looking at. And if you go all the way back to verse 6 of chapter 1, Paul is astonished because the Galatians are so quickly deserting him who called, who called them in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Okay. Paul is saying that, and we've been through this many times, is that to distort the gospel is to preach another gospel, and to embrace another gospel is to turn our backs on him who called you. And I think with my introduction, we can see how you're turning your back on Christ if you're trusting in yourself, right? And that's what inevitably always happens when we bring performance into the equation, right? And what is Paul doing? Paul is laboring here. You go to chapter 2, you look at verse 5, and he tells us what he's doing. He is laboring so that the truth, you see at the end of verse 5 there, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. That's what Paul's doing. What's Paul doing? He's laboring. He's fighting, if you will. He's wrestling, if you will, to preserve the truth of the gospel. For who? For all of us. Not just for the Galatians, but for all of us. He's laboring to preserve, preserve that truth. And then he brings up in chapter 2, he brings up this time where, you know, Peter is in Antioch, and, and Peter actually, though if you gave Peter a theological exam, I'm sure he would pass the theological exam. He's not a heretic. But here's an occasion where Peter, Peter's actions actually are compromising the truth of the gospel. Why? What's Peter doing? Well, you know the story. We've been over this a number of times, too. Peter goes to Antioch at some point. Peter is enjoying fellowship with everyone. I've likened it. I've tried to make it as, 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 as graphic as I can. Imagine Peter is here with us, worshiping. And after church, what do we do? Well, we, we go and we enjoy fellowship with him around a table. You know, that's one of the things we want to do on Wednesday night. There's something special about getting around a table with one another and eating food together. I know a lot of you hunger for that. That's one of the reasons why we want to do this. I'm happy you're hungering for that. We know how special that is. And here Peter is right in the midst of us. But then some folks come from Jerusalem, people from the circumcision party. And what's Peter do? He slowly begins to withdraw for us. So finally we're wondering, where's Peter at? He doesn't hang around with us anymore. Is it because he has, you know, theologically abandoned the truth of the gospel? No, I, we, we, we can't go there. 
But for reasons that I've tried to describe, pastoral reasons, he's made some decisions, if you will, unintended, that are compromising the truth of the gospel. How is that? He's not hanging out with us anymore. Where does that leave us? We must not be all the way in. How do you get all the way in? Well, we're going to have to start maybe getting everybody circumcised and start following A, B, C, and D. You see, that's where that plus sign comes in. Faith in Christ. No one's denying that it's faith in Christ. We all have to faith in Christ. But what Peter's actions are suggesting is that we need to add this plus sign and we need to begin to bring in dietary laws. We need to bring bring in all those things if we really want to get in. And Paul is speaking up. Paul is saying, wait a second, stop it. And he rebukes Peter right to his face. And then in the midst of that conversation, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 15, he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. That's a mouthful, verse 16, isn't it? Now, what's amazing about Scripture is when we read Scripture, it's amazing how much is said with so few words. You ever, you ever just marvel at that? You read a story in the gospel and you read just how much is said with just a few words. And yet here, what do we got here? I mean, what would our English teachers do with that sentence in verse 16? Guaranteed, rewrite. Right? With that red pen. Rewrite. Yet... On an inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have what we have here. And notice what we have here. And many commentators refer to verse 16 as the theme statement of Galatians. Paul says, we know. Okay, it's a point of agreement. We know that a person is not justified by the works. There's justified once by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So we also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified. There's twice by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Justified three times. It's like he's trying to really drill this into our minds. And through the course of this study, I find myself saying the same thing over and over and over again. And as I look at you saying the same thing over and over again, I can't help but to wonder where you're not sitting there thinking, Rick, you've said this like 50 times to us. But to preach this message almost requires, as we go through these verses, what are we hearing over and over and over again? We're hearing the same message, aren't we? Over and over and over again. Why do you suppose that is? It's not because the Holy Spirit has a stuttering problem. It's because we have such a hard time with this principle, don't we? And we have to do this work. And that brings us to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, Paul begins to make his argument. If you look at chapter 3, now Paul is addressing the Galatians. He's no longer addressing his fellow Jews, Peter and company, if you will. He's addressing the Galatians themselves. And he asks this question. And as I said in an earlier message, Paul begins by um, speaking to them based on experience. He's reasoning from their experience. And he says to them, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, this phrase here, uh, receiving the Spirit, is just another way of saying conversion. Why would I say that? Because everybody who's converted into Christ has what? The Holy Spirit. We read that in Romans 8, didn't we? 
If we do not have the Spirit, we do not belong. If we do not have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we do not belong to Christ. And what is Paul basically saying here? He's saying, how, how did you come to be converted? Was it because you passed over the hot dogs at the cookout? Because you passed on the shrimp at the buffet line? Or was it because you heard with faith? Now, that's, that's a powerful question, isn't it? Well, the answer, of course, is we heard with faith. And in verse 5, what's Paul say again? It's a similar argument. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? In other words, did the Lord see that you passed over the hot dog stand and say, boy, that was, that was great work. Here's, I'm going to perform a miracle for you. In fact, the miracle I'm going to perform for you is the miracle of transforming your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. In other words, I'm going to convert your heart because you passed over the hot dog stand. That's absurd, isn't it? So not only the reception of the Holy Spirit is something that we get by hearing with faith, the supplier acts as well, doesn't he, by hearing with faith. He gives the gift of faith if we want to look at this. If we want to look at this from God's side for a moment, what's going on? God gives the gift of faith, doesn't he? He gives us the gift of faith. He doesn't do the believing for us, but he gives us the gift of faith. What's he do? He opens up our eyes, basically, is what he does, so that we can see the beauty of Christ. Now, how are we going to see the beauty of Christ without hearing the word of Christ? So he does this. In the, in, this, this motion takes place as the gospel is proclaimed, doesn't it? And that's the argument he's making. Now, as we saw last week, okay, Paul's argument, which is very powerful, begins with experience. And there's an important, le important lesson here. We see Paul's doing this twice now. Paul begins to argue for something by finding a point of commonality with people and starting there, doesn't he? You follow me? In other words, he finds a point where everybody agrees, and he begins with that. I'll give you an example. I've used this several times. Let me use it again. Tomorrow at the coffee pot, someone asks you a question, or perhaps you propose a question to them. You want to find out where they're at. Find out what they believe. This is actually pretty safe to do, by the way. Don't be scared to do it. You can ask people, tell me. You know, we never really got to talk about this. You know, do you believe in God? That's actually a pretty safe question. Don't be, a, don't be afraid to do that. I, I've never gotten clobbered for that one. I've been clobbered for some other ones. That's downstream just a little bit. Not real far, but it is downstream. A lot of times you can ask people that question. They'll, they'll, they'll talk to you. Most people are going to say, yeah, I believe in God. Well, the next question to ask, generally speaking, is what about Jesus? Where are you at with Jesus? And that's, where you're gonna, that's usually where you're going to find you have some work to do. Because a lot of people say, you know, I'm not sure about Jesus. I'm not sure about Jesus. Well, what have you done? You've already found something where we agree. Okay, we both agree that God exists and God has created everything, right? Okay, now let's start talking about who Jesus is. And you can begin from that point. Now you know, now you know what to do. Now you know where to go. Now you know what to recommend. Have you ever read any of the stories of Jesus? Have you ever seen how Jesus conversed with people? Have you ever seen how Jesus touched people? Have you ever seen how, people, how Jesus related to people? Have you, ever, have you ever, most of the time you're going to get an answer, a no to that. Take a couple stories. Read a couple stories. Share a couple stories. One of my favorites is Jesus touching the leper in Luke 5. That's a good one. That is really a good one. 
where people begin to what? And in doing this, what are they doing? They're hearing what? The word of Christ. That's where faith comes from. So we take a leaf out of Paul's book. What's he doing? Well, he's arguing from experience, but in verse 6, he takes, the, takes it to the next step. He begins to argue from Scripture. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Look at the geniusness of the Holy Spirit here. The genius, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. Having asked those questions, if you will, how did you come to be a believer How did he supply the Holy Spirit to you? Was it by your performance because you've always tried to be X, 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 X? Or was it because you heard with faith? Obviously, the answer is I heard with faith. Well, that's the same way Abraham came. See how he's taken us to Scripture? Last week, we saw that Paul is quoting from Genesis 15, verse 6, where we learn how how did Abram, his name was Abram at that point, How did Abram come to be justified in God's court? God called him out of idolatry. We looked at that in an earlier message, right? Abram and his brother and his fathers, what were they doing? They were serving other gods. And God came to him with a promise and said, Abram, I want you to go to a place I'm going to show you. I don't have an address for your GPS. I just want you to go. And I'm going to make you into a great nation. And all the families of the earth are going to be blessed to you. That is some promise, isn't it? Especially when he's 75 years old, his wife is 65 years old, and they've never had children. So Abram has this promise put before him. What's Abram do? He goes. He doesn't simply say, okay, God, I believe you exist, and I believe this promise is probably true, and then go back into his tent. And tell everybody, yeah, God exists and God makes promises and all the promises are true. That would just have been a mental ascent, wouldn't it? No, he trusts in those promises. More about that in just a couple minutes. He goes. He goes. And in verse 7, as we saw last week, notice what it says. Then though, it, Know then that it's those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And I pointed out that this kind of comes out of nowhere, this idea of sons of Abraham. It comes out of nowhere. And, and many, this has caused many to speculate that that's probably one of the things that the agitators are doing in Galatia. They're saying something like this. In all likelihood, they're saying, okay, here's the deal. Faith in Christ gets you started. But if you are going to be a real believer, then you're going to have to do as Abraham did. You're going to have to be circumcised. And then Moses comes later, and you're going to have to follow Moses because you're going to have to become a child of Abraham if you're really going to be in. Does that make sense? So in other words, you're going to have to add a plus sign to faith in Christ if you want to become a son or a daughter of Abraham. Now, what's Paul doing? He's taking the, pulling the rug out from under that argument. He's saying, then it's those who are faith that are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. There he's quoting Genesis 12, 3. But he's also saying something spectacular. He's saying that when God spoke to Abraham back in Genesis 12, he preached the gospel to him. People have always been saved one way. There's one church. There's one faith. There's one people of God comprised of both Jew and Gentile. There's one gospel. There's one way of salvation. And this gospel is first preached in Genesis 3.15. 
But here we see it's being preached in Genesis 12, 3 as well. And that brings us to verse 9. Paul makes the conclusion statement. He says, so then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, what I want to do now is I want to show the contrast between verses 9 and 10. If we think about the blessing of Abraham, probably most narrowly, the most, if we wanted to say, like, if, if we... If, if we were in a, sitting in a, a theological class and the professor passed out a blank sheet of paper and said, I want you uh, for 100 points, uh, tell me what is the blessing of Abraham. You could hardly go wrong if you wrote justification down on your paper. In fact, I think I could go as far to say that one of the professors that I said, and I would probably accept that for 100 points. Justification is the blessing, if you will, of Abraham. Justification. What does that mean? For a sinner to be able to be declared just and right in God's presence so that we could enjoy his company for all of eternity. That's justification. That's justification. And it's only because we're half asleep that we don't understand what a great blessing that is. To the degree that we don't understand what a blessing that is, to that same measure, we're asleep in this, aren't we? We are asleep. We know that. May the Lord wake us up in these things. We're sinners. We're rebels. You know, R.C. Sproul used to call, call us what? Uh, caught, we used to, we're, we're committers of, what did he say? Cosmic treason, if I remember right. I was looking for Donald. He would remember, oh, you know, I could look at Michael. He would remember that too. You know, am I right? Cosmic treason is what he used to say. Cosmic treason. How can, how can, treason, treason generally carries a death penalty in most countries, doesn't it? It's one of the worst crimes you can commit. Treason against your country. Treason against your God. Treason against your king. Treason against the highest king of kings. This is what we've done every day of our lives is committed treason. And justification, the wonder of justification is those of us who have committed treason, which is all of us, we'd be able to stand welcomed in his court. Whose court? The king who we've created, who we've committed treason against every day of our lives. How does that happen? It happens by faith. Now, the blessing that comes from Abraham, the blessing of Abraham is justification. Now, if we think of it that way for a moment, when we think of blessing, what could be the opposite of blessing? The opposite of blessing would be cursed, right? And that's what Paul sets up in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. You see the contrast that Paul's setting up between verses 9 and 10. I'll read it again. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Let's just go that far and stop. Those of faith are blessed along with Abraham. Those who rely on works of the law are under a curse. What's that to say to the one who answers the door? Hi, my name's Pastor Rick Anderson. I'm from Tri-State Community Church asking you some questions today. Do you mind if I ask you a question about your faith? If you were to die today and God were to say to you, why should I let you into my kingdom? What would you say? Well, I've, no, I'm not perfect, but I've always tried to be. 
That's the answer you're going to get all day long. And the person who answers that way is under a curse. It can make you cry, can't it? It can make me cry. It can actually make... It can, if I go a little further now, I'm going to start crying. I'm going to quit. There's a lot of the people that answered those doors and a lot of the people that I've... I've done this, been doing this for a long time. A lot of the people are such one... I mean, on a human scale, they're such wonderful people, aren't they? But we're rebels against the king. Now, I want to... I want to make some points here that I haven't made thus far. What's the the deal with faith? Why is faith such a premium? Here's the answer. And the Reformers used to teach this all the time, and we need to get back to teaching this. It's because faith is the highest worship. Luther used to teach that. The Reformers used to teach that. Have you ever heard that before? If you haven't, it's my fault. Faith is the highest worship. Some would say, well, could you flesh that out a little bit? I could do that with the the devotion that I shared this morning at the park. In fact, I went down to the park this morning and I shared this devotion. And I write these out um, because I try to be as quick as I can. Um, I try to make these not more than two minutes long. You know, people are standing there, they're listening. You know, our attention spans are only so long, and really I feel people are on the clock, people are working, they're being paid to work. I try to keep these very short. So I write them out. I don't always read them verbatim, but I write them out. And I'm also saving some of these because I really think we need a little booklet. I'd like to write a little booklet. I think we need a little booklet that we can pass out to people of devotions that will tug at people's heart. There's lots of devotions that are written, but most of them are written for the choir. They're written for the church, and that's fine. There's a big need for that. We need those things. But what about a devotion that could be given out, a devotional that could be given out to a person who doesn't know Jesus? I think we need that. And I've been saving these. And this one, this morning, I, I, I basically said this. For this morning's devotion, we turn to the first part of Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. One theologian said, faith is the highest worship. Faith honors God by believing and trusting in him. Listen carefully to the word trust here. Saving faith is more mental, is more than mental assent to a couple of truths. Saving faith is more than saying, okay, the Bible records the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead three days later, and I agree the Bible is true in this. No, saving faith trusts in what Christ has done by dying on the cross and rising from the dead three days later. Saving faith runs to Christ in full trust that he can save. I can illustrate this with parenting. When a child hears a motorcycle backfire or a dog bark or they fall down and skin their elbow or knee, what do they do? They cry for their mother or their father. Why do they do this? Because they trust their mom or their dad can protect them. They trust their mom or dad can fix it, make it better. They trust their mom or dad can turn this thing around and make it okay. It's an honor for a parent to be in this position because your child trusts you. Your child trusts that you can protect him or her. You can turn this around. You can make this all better. They just have to get to you. Just having your arms around them and a kiss on the cheek is all it takes to get this started. Listen to this line here. Rarely are you more honored as a parent than when your children 
run to you to make everything better. In the same way, running to God like this is the highest worship. Without this kind of trust in God, it's impossible to please him. Faith is the highest worship. How we get that so wrong? I suppose some of us might think, well, the highest worship would be those moments when the band is playing and, and our hands are up in the air and we're, we're just full of praise and we're praising God, our eyes are closed, and those mountaintop experiences, that's the highest worship. A lot of times we think that's the highest worship, don't we? Listen, loved ones, there, I, over the years, I've been at this a while, and I have seen people in that posture in this room who are currently this day, sadly enough, not even walking in the faith. The highest worship trusts God's promises and stakes their soul on them. Stakes their soul on them. So the point, first point, the title of this message is faith is the highest worship. Secondly, I've already alluded to it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But here's another thought maybe you haven't thought of. Without faith, it's impossible to follow the law. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I, I know I'm not perfect, you know, but I've always tried to what? Follow the law. Whose law? Whose law? Whose law have you always tried to follow? Your own. So you're the lawmaker. So you've always tried to follow your own commandments? Is that what you're saying? It's exactly what they're saying. So then who's God? It's a violation of the first commandment, you see. Now what happens if you violate the first commandment? It's a domino that takes them all down, isn't it? So a person could walk, hypothetically speaking, perfectly to the letter of every law in the Scripture, but without faith, they're lawless. Next point, without faith, it's impossible to love God. Say what? Without faith, it's impossible to even love God. Now, this is, this, is, this is something that's pretty easy to reason with. We don't need to turn there because I just want to wrap this up. It's been long enough. But Jesus, in his, to his opponents in John chapter 8, he tells his opponents, listen, if God were your father, you would love me. Right? In essence, what's he saying? If you loved God, you'd love me. The fact is you don't love me. And what's that mean? By way of deduction. You do not love God either. So any position that we might hold that doesn't embrace Jesus as he is offered in the gospel is done by a heart that doesn't love God either. Does that make sense? Without faith, without faith we can't please God. Without faith we cannot obey the law. Without faith we can't even love God. 
Now, let's end on a more positive note than that, okay, shall we? Cody says, yeah, that sounds good. I never like to end on those kind of notes, you know. We could do what Jonathan Edwards said. Next week, we're going to look. No, we're not going to do that and manage to wait all week long. You know, the Reformers used to say things like this. Faith is the highest form of worship. It's the highest worship. And even just a small amount of faith, just a little bit amount of faith, God looks at that little amount of faith and he says, you know what, that'll do. That'll work. I'll accept that. I'll accept that and I'll bring you into union with Christ. And by virtue of being brought into union with Christ, I am going to pour out on you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. And that's the good news of the gospel, isn't it? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, O Lord, for this letter that you have given to Galatia and through them to us, Lord. We thank you for this, Father. And we pray, O Father, that these words that we're hearing over and over and over and over again about faith and trusting in Christ as he is offered in the gospel, pray, Father, that these words would not fall flat on us, but that, Father, we would absorb these words in hearing these over and over again, that you would etch these words deeply in our hearts, Lord. Oh, Father, it is so natural to us to want to trust in ourselves, to get right with you. That's the most natural thing for us to do. Oh, Father, we see here the gospel is unnatural in that respect. In fact, it's supernatural. Oh, Father, we pray that, Lord, you would advance your gospel into our hearts and show us the beauty of receiving Christ Jesus by faith, receiving his promises, just as Abraham received your promise. He received the gospel promise that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed. And when we get to verses 15 and onward, we'll, we'll see what Paul means by all of that. We'll see what Abraham understood by all of that. No, Lord, what we know is as we embrace Christ Jesus, seeing what he has done, not just to merely mentally assent to some, pro some propositions or some truths, not to say, okay, the Bible records that Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross, third day rose from the dead. And because the Bible says it, I believe it. But no, a faith that says, you know what? I'm going to leave my home country. And I'm going to follow you wherever you're taking us. Well, Father, fill our hearts afresh this morning with that kind of faith. Fill us as we go forth from this week, as we go through the battleground of this life and this pilgrimage, Father. Well, Father, use us, O oh Lord, to reflect these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.